A Psalm of David. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is my stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evil doers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O you who have been my help, cast me not off. Forsake me not. O God of my salvation, for my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong, and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. The reading of God's word. Good morning, everybody. Good to see you all. Um, I have a special treat before we get started. Um, We have some visitors um, from Velkolhota Church, our sister church. You saw a video like a month and a half ago of the trip, the short-term trip our our team went on. And so I'd like to invite David and Dada Ujik. Ujik? I said that wrong. The Ujikovies. That's who they are. Um, You can give them a golf clap. They're here. Um, He just wanted to say hi and uh, greet you. This is our, these are from, this is, they're from our sister church. Um, he's a leader there, and um, she's a leader in, in a way, like she, she helps with children, and they, they do so much. They're like a foundational piece of the church, I think. They do so much work. So he just wanted to say hi and greet you, all in Czech, right? Ahoj. Děší mě. So that was for, for the Czech language, so now in English. I'm really glad to be here, but uh, I only came to greet you and invite uh, into talking later because uh, we have a lot of program today. So if you want to know something, maybe also about orphanage problem in Czech Republic, it's a huge problem also, so you can talk to us. So thank you to be here with you. There you go. Thanks, Tavi. So I'd encourage you to talk to them after the service, between services. They'll be here. They're leaving tomorrow. They've been here all week, um, just on holiday. So um, let me pray, and we'll get started. Dear Father, we uh, just, uh, dear Father, um, just those words um, that we start out prayers with, um, we don't want to take ever take for granted, God, that you're our Father, that you love us um, like a father. Um, as high as the heavens are above the earth, your word says, so great is your love for us 
Um, as a father has compassion for his children, so great is your love for us. And so, God, we thank you. We are just your children, your sons and daughters, um, in need of their daddy um, this morning. And I, I know less than that, Lord. I'm, I'm first in that line. I need you. So, God, let um, let's pray with the psalmist. Let the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart, be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer and our father. And all God's people said. So I'll never forget one of the earliest memories I had before I was four years old. Um, I was in a living room. I was looking at this old lady, um, and she was, uh, she was backlit with a kitchen window, and she was taking her teeth out over and over again. I'll never forget that. Etched in my memory. I'll never forget January 1st, 1997, when I laid eyes on the first person I'd ever met who shared my blood. Um, he was tiny. He was in my arms like this big, Josiah, my eldest. Um, I can't describe how that felt. And blood mattered to me for the first time ever in that moment. I'll never forget it. I'll never forget a feeble voice on the other end of a phone um, at our old house in Loveland. And she said, hey, this is your grandma. I'm 84 years old. I'd like to meet you before I die. Um, I found out she was in Estes Park, and I gathered up a few pictures of my kids and family and went up to see her. Um, I'll never forget wondering all the way there if I should hug this woman, who I've never met, who seemed to know me. Um, But I had no choice, because when I saw her and I went up to her house, she hugged me. Um, And that was that. I met my biological grandma, who lived in the basement of my aunt. and I'll never forget the full-on shrine to Ronald Reagan as I walked into the, into the room. Um, on the wall, uh, books, pictures, showing me a family reunion picture of her and cousin Ronnie next to her. Um, he taught her how to swim, their first cousins. Um, I so far haven't seen any inheritance from that. Um, he had taught her how to swim. And then seeing my birth dad for the first time on a, in a picture. Um, I had memories of him, but not a face, just just some memories before I was four. And I saw pictures of him for the first time with me as a little guy. I'll never forget going upstairs in the living room and having one of those movie moments where, you know, the, the, the camera zooms in and everything kind of gets small and it's right on my face. And I realized I was in that place in the living room with the kitchen, with the backlit window. And I asked them, if, is this where I was? And that was the same home that they took care of me. Um, and that was my great-grandma in my dream, and she liked to take her teeth out for me to make me laugh when I was a little kid before I was four when I'd go to visit them. Um, and it was crazy because all that came together in that moment. This was the same house in which they took care of me for the first year of my life, protecting me from my alcoholic, bipolar dad, and they were both were afraid they might, he might try to harm me because I painfully reminded him of his wife, my mom, who left him. I'll never forget driving home. Um, I'll never forget driving home thanking God that he pulled me out of that family, especially after doing an internet search of of him and finding out that he was on his fourth wife. I had half-siblings, three of which he abused. Um, And I thank God again after I found that out. 
Um, I'll never forget walking around my neighborhood in the middle of the night, crying and praying and being mad at God. A week before I was told I needed to, I was told I needed to forgive my birth mom and dad, whom I, who I'd never had met. Um, Lori and I were being discipled via CTO by Pat and Jolene like six years ago, a long time ago, I think. And, and them telling me that I needed to forgive these people I had never met because I was holding the sin of abandonment against them. My whole life, I didn't even know it. Walking around New Windsor in the middle of the night, my whole life was being played back through my head. Every relationship I'd ever had colored by um, those early years, trying to prove over and over again of my worth to people, trying to prove over and over again why they should want me. Um, never getting close enough to people for fear they might find out that I wasn't good enough for them and they would really want, not want to be with me. I talked, I cried, I cried out to God. Um, I said, why God? Why'd you do this to me? Why has my whole life been colored by these people I've never met? Um, where were you when I was born? Here's a picture. Um, Tr- um, Tristan, you can show that first picture. Here's a picture of my birth parents and my grandma in the middle who I talked to on the phone. He kind of looks like Shaggy from Scooby-Doo. This was 1971 or 70 or something like that. There's my mom. Um, I've never met either one of them. Marie and Stephen were their names. Here's a picture of my real parents. Next picture. This is John and Peggy Shewitt. Some of you have met them. They've been here. They're going to be here second service. They're my real parents. That was like 1955, I think. They're beautiful, aren't they? <laughs> um, wow. Didn't expect to cry, the tears. Um, these are the two people that my Heavenly Father brought in my life who chose me and wanted me and took me in. It's the first picture of the gospel that I've ever seen and I will, I will never forget. I can't wait to introduce them, second service. Adoption is my favorite doctrine. You can take it down if you want, Tristan. But to call it a doctrine, it hardly does it justice, right? Um, it's like, you know, trying to describe poetry, you know, like Dead Poets Society, they took out the, you can't do it. It's such a massive topic and a theme and a thread that runs all throughout Scripture, adoption, because it runs right into, the, it's like the heart of God. That's why it's everywhere in Scripture. And so uh, it's, just the, it's just everywhere. So how, how do you pick, like, where do you go with adoption in, in, in Scripture? Um, we could look all over Scripture and see the love of a father. And it's my hope this morning, we just, we're just looking very briefly at a few passages that we can join our voices with the Apostle John when he is just marveling, reflecting on his father, and he says, uh, see what kind of love the father has for us, that we should be called children of God. That is what we are. He's just like praising God for that reality. And we can look all through scripture and do the same. So if you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ this morning and are a follower of his, you're a child of the most high God. And he is your father and you are his child. He's adopted you as his own. So in the brief time we have this morning, this is how I want to look at adoption. I want to look at adoption for us now, how it is now for us um, as children of God. Um, now in the present, and then I want to second look at our adoption as it will be in the future. Not really much of an outline, but there you go. 
Psalm 27. When we read this poem that we just heard Dan read of David, I believe we should think of it um, as if we were orphans, as, as if the writer is thinking about being an orphan and then being adopted into God's family with, those, with that lens on. And, it, and, like, and David, is, is, it's a song of hope and a song of deliverance from being an orphan to being adopted into the Lord's family. There's both a present reality and a future reality of this adoption in this poem. So with, that, with those glasses on, let's read it again. Psalm 27. The Lord... Yahweh, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. David had many enemies. We talked about that in our last series, Psalm 23. Saul, surrounding nations, his own son Absalom, uh, was, was, wanted his life. And yet David is reflecting on how the Lord has protected him all the way through. All along, that his father protect his son. And one of the sad and harsh realities uh, of this cold, this dark world we live in is that there are many children who are born into such brokenness um, that they are, they're faced with the harsh reality that the two people that are supposed to love them the most have hurt them the most. Many children face that truth. The two people that were supposed to love them most hurt them the most. Abusive parents, absent parents, strung out parents, neglecting angry parents who leave their kids by the wayside, maybe abandon them, or maybe are even in the home and absent in the home and under the same roof. But notice the present language here um, from David. Um, the Lord is my light. He is the stronghold of my life. It's a present reality for David, and it should be for us as well, as his children. Let's continue. Verse 4, one thing I have asked of the Lord, that, that will I seek after that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock, and now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me, and I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Notice the future language here. David is longing that he may dwell in the house of the Lord forever to gaze upon his beauty, to inquire in his temple. His temple and his tent were where God was present on earth. The tabernacle, the temple, that's where God made his presence. In the Holy of Holies, that's where he was there. And so to be in that temple, to be in that tent meant presence with God. It meant being with him. And David is talking about God's actual permanent home here, though, not the earthly one, but the heavenly tabernacle, the heavenly temple, wanting to reside, looking forward to residing there where God lives. And like Moses got to speak with Yahweh face to face, David longs for that same nearness. He will hide me in his shelter. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will. And then there's more present language. And now my head shall be lifted up above all my enemies. 
There's another harsh reality um, for orphans, foster kids. They're really homeless. They're exposed. They don't have stability that only a father and mother can give. They could be in a building with food coming their way. They could be in a shelter. They could have clothes. They could be in a, a home, a respite home or something. And they could be taken care of, but they might not be home. They're not home. Every orphan seeks after one thing above all else, a father and a mother who wants them. Wants them badly enough to bring them in to live with them, to eat with them, not just keep them out in a guest house somewhere. This home that doesn't just mean provision, but it means protection and stability and being with the father. That's what dwelling means here. Let's keep going. Hear, O God, when I cry aloud, be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Take not your servant away. Or, sorry, turn not your servant away in anger. O you who have been my help, cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Every orphan doesn't just want provision and protection, but they want presence. To seek the face of the Lord uh, to have the Lord not hide his face from you, it means you're there, eye to eye. It's, it, it means in front of, with, present, like right there. As a father would take his child and, and, and lift him up and, and look face to face in those eyes. That's the picture. Face. I've sought your face, God. The song of David here is that even though his earthly parents might forsake and abandon him, the Lord will take him in. He will. Take him to live face-to-face, near and present with the Father, not just vicinity, but relationship. It's what every orphan longs for, to be chosen, to be wanted, to be brought in. Psalm 65, 4 says, Blessed is the one you choose and bring near, to dwell in your courts, we shall be satisfied with the goodness of your house, the holiness of your temple. You all know what real adoption is, right? We all know what real adoption is. Um, some of you have gone through the process. Uh, you filled out the paperwork. You paid a lot of money. Um, you've been on waiting lists. You've had meetings. Um, you've been placed and then not, or you had visits and conversations. But until the child enters your home, until you take them in, adoption's not complete yet, right? Adoption means actually living with the parents in their home. Listen to the present and future realities of these other texts. First um, John 3, 1 through 3, I think we have it up on the screen. See what kind of love the Father has for us, that we should be called the children of God, and so we are, present, The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be, that's future, has not yet appeared. 
But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. So we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. What does that mean? What we, what we will be. He's talking about resurrection. He's talking about the last day and the first day of the rest of our life when we are resurrected in the new heaven and new earth with him. Listen to the future reality of adoption from Paul in Romans 8, also up on the screen, Romans 8, 22. This whole section is good, but with, we don't have time to look at the whole thing. Earlier, he talks about having adoption as sons, crying out, Abba, Father. In the same context, he says of Romans 8, 22. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait, what for? Wait eagerly for adoption as sons. The redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we are saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. So why do I go through these passages and why do I talk about present and future adoption and, and resurrection, future hope? What's the point? Just this, if you are a follower of Jesus, you are a child of God the Father. Co-heir with Jesus Christ, his son. You have been adopted. The paperwork is done. The payment has been made, finished on the cross, and it is a present reality, and you will be adopted as well. We are eagerly awaiting our adoption, the redemption of our bodies, again, the resurrection. So our adoption isn't final yet until we are placed in the home, until our dwelling with our Father in a resurrected earth, an earth that groans and is waiting to be resurrected like, like the saints are, like the sons of God are. The, the, the creation is waiting for the sons of God to be revealed so that they too, that creation too can be made new. And that's the day when he'll finally take us in. Our adoption will be done. Lori and I have, we have two compassion kids. Um, so Tristan, you can show that next slide. I think we have it. We have two compassion kids. The first, oh, that's, those aren't my, those, I do have compassion for those kids, but those are my actual kids. So go back, go back two, one more, one more. There we go, cool. His name is um, Abraham. He's from Ethiopia. He's 10 years old. His primary caregiver is his grandma. His favorite subject is science. He likes soccer and football. Okay, now you can show the next one. This is Eduardo. And he's from Guatemala. He'll be eight on Wednesday. Um, he's really cute. He's from Guatemala. He likes marbles, toys, car, toy cars, and hide-and-seek and soccer. His primary caregiver is a lady named Juana. Uh, I'm not sure how, how they're related, actually. Um, we've adopted them through Compassion International. Uh, some of you have done the same. We send money every month. We give birthday and Christmas gifts. We've cared for them sacrificially for a few years. We want them to get schooling. We want them to be healthy. We want them to have all their clothes and shelter and protection. We don't want to see them suffer. We want to hear that they're flourishing and look forward to them being self-sustaining one day. 
so they don't need our support anymore. But they don't need just humanitarian love. They don't just need provision. They don't just need shelter and food and education. They need and they want relationship like everyone. I don't know them, but I know they want that. They need and want a father and mother who wants them, who chooses them, who will take them in. What they really need and want, I can't give them. I'm not their daddy. Now you can show the next one. This is Josiah, Zach, and Esther. Josiah, my oldest. Zach, who a lot of you have met. And Esther, my daughter, who a lot of you have met. I've been giving these guys money. (laughs) Shelter, clothing, protection, food, and more for a long time. 21 years. Um, I want to keep doing that until they don't need our support anymore. Hopefully that's soon. Um, No. One of them will likely need our support for a really long time. But what I really want to give them and what they ultimately want from me is me. They want their dad and mom. They wanted me to wrestle with them, and they still do, and they want me to dance with them, and they want me to play with them and spend time with them and hang out with them. They don't ultimately want my stuff. They want their daddy. We all know what makes a good father, right? You could take that down if you want, Tristan, even though they're really good-looking kids, if I do say so myself. We all know what makes a good father, right? You all have certain couples you can point to you think of as model parents. They spend time with their kids. They nurture them. They're at the dinner table every night. They talk to them, not just about their day, but like they, they use every opportunity to, to speak truth and the gospel to their kids. They're great parents. You might know them. Maybe you are them um, in, in, you know, in, in the flesh as imperfectly as, as it might be. Um, why would we think that the relationship with our heavenly father would be any less than that? That he would be with us one day, with. Matthew seven eleven says, uh, Jesus is speaking uh, to the crowds, if you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give good gifts to those who ask him? Yet, as I used to think, and I hear people inside and outside this building, Christians talk, um, they speak of God being their father as if he's only a compassion sponsor. He's good. He's loving. He provides. He gives good gifts. He's even written stuff down for me periodically that I look at um, when I need to be comforted. He protects me. I have all my basic needs because of him. All a child really wants from their father is what? We all know it, right? To wrestle, to go fishing, hang out, go to ball games, build stuff, work on projects together, hear his praise when you're doing your music recital. All the above requires one thing. And I hear from so many inside and outside this body, um, Christians, that they dare not believe that that's true. It's too crazy to imagine that we actually can be with our Father that way. That's like crazy talk. My Father actually wants to be with me? 
in all those kind of ways, because he loves me, even more important to me, because he just delights in me, he likes me, he chose me because he wants me. Can you say those words this morning? Do you dare think of your father that way? We all know that's what makes a good daddy on earth, right? Why would Yahweh God, our father, be any less? I defy you to really read this book and see if God, our father, is not like that. He is. It's too much to ask for, isn't it? It's too much to ask that he would be that way for us. But wait, we can't go, we can't, we can't say that, right? Because isn't everything we have too much to ask for? Let's take that notion out of our head. Isn't breathing in and out too much to ask for? Or how about any blessing ever? Taste buds and steak. Um, adrenaline and gravity. Um, olfactory scents and flowers, rods and cones and sunsets. All that's too much to ask for. Or how about someone else taking all their sin upon, all my sin upon them and them giving me all my, all my righteousness, all their righteousness. Jesus on the cross. Is that too much to ask for? How about getting a new, renewed body on a new earth and a new heaven? Is that too much to ask for? Everything is too much to ask for. It's called the gospel. <laughs> Every point of it, it's way too much to ask for. Um, I, I love this, this quote from John Piper. It's not on your screen. Uh, I, I've said it before. I absolutely love, like, I love this. Here's what John Piper says about the gospel. But what is the ultimate good in the good news? It all ends in one thing. God himself. All the words of the gospel lead to him, or they're not the gospel. For example, salvation is not good news if it only saves from hell and not for God. Forgiveness is not good news if it only gives relief from guilt, but doesn't open the way to God. Justification is not good news if it only makes us legally acceptable to God, but doesn't bring fellowship with God. Redemption is not good news if it only liberates us from the bondage, from bondage, but doesn't bring us to God. Adoption, adoption is not good news if it only puts us in the Father's family, but not in his arms. The gospel of Christ is the good news that at the cost of his son's life, God has done everything necessary to enthrall us with what will make us eternally and ever increasingly happy, namely himself. The gospel of Christ is the good news that the cost of, of his son's life, God has done everything necessary to enthrall us with what will make us eternally and ever increasingly happy, namely himself. What really will enthrall us, what really will make us eternally and ever increasingly happy is being with our father I mean literally with him. Not just in the same city paved with gold. Not just in the same throng seeing, seeing him on his throne from afar um, on the sidelines when the king passes by. Not even in the same household, not just that, but in his arms. 
in his arms. In his arms. Literally. Is it too much to ask for you to be in his arms? Absolutely. But if you've been adopted as his child through faith in your older brother, Jesus, who paid it all, that's what you'll get, whether you want it or not, whether you ask for it or not. That's what you're going to get, whether you believe it or not. It's what you really want anyway, isn't it? It's what we want, but we're too afraid to ask for, too afraid to even believe sometimes. Will that happen to you? See, good fathers always know what their kids really want most, and they just give them that whether they ask for it or not. Oh, will that happen to you? Is that what you long for? Is that too crazy for you to imagine? Is that one thing you did that one time just bad enough that, you know, he's going to let you in, but, you know, you'll be off in the guest house. You'll be in another wing of the mansion. There'll be an intercom system. When the new heaven and new earth come and your father comes to make his dwelling place with you and you try to pull this rehearsed line, okay, I'll go up to him and I'll, I'll just say, good, uh, God, uh, Father, um, you know, I, I know I know you're good and I don't deserve to be here. I'm just a worm. Um, and I know you remember that thing I did. You remember that abortion. You remember that affair. You remember that divorce. You remember that neglect. You remember that abuse. And so if I could just be a servant, if I could just clean toilets, then, you know, that, that's, and, and he's not, he's not going to let you finish that sentence because he's going to be too busy running to you with open arms, too busy throwing a ring on your finger and a robe on your back and hugging you in his arms and embracing you He's not going to hear your rehearsed line of your groveling to him because he's your daddy who wants you. He chose you. He likes you. He wants to spend eternity with you. Do you believe that? Like with you. Like with. Will that happen? Will your adoption be complete one day? when he takes you in, not just in his house, not just in his forever family, although those things are great, but even better in his arms. There's a half a million kids in the U.S. I read, I don't know exactly the statistics, and millions more in the world who don't know the affections of a father that will never let them go. They don't know what it feels like to be wanted, to be chosen, to be in daddy and mommy's arms. It might, even be, it might even seem like too much for them to ask for or to hope for. It might seem like too good to hope for, that someone would take them in. You know, food and shelter and money, backpack, school, it's all good and nice and, and, it, and it needs to be given. But what they really want and need is that they want to be wanted. We've heard of opportunities this morning, uh, great opportunities. Um, uh, we've heard... Uh, you know, on the back of your announcement sheets, you could see these opportunities, um, and the, the, the ladies, uh, they, they announce for us all these opportunities we as a body we can respond to. Um, there's, there's tables out back, and there's a card that you, you got. I encourage you to look at that and, and just ask the Lord how he'd want you to respond to all those opportunities. Can we respond to the Lord leading us that way? Um, 
I love what the card says. I don't have it in front of me, but something like, uh, not everyone is called to foster adopt. You heard it. Um, but everyone, as, as brothers and sisters with one father, I, you're my brothers and sisters, we're called to help each other. We're in the same family. Um, there's a lot of people in this family, who are in, this, in this family of families who, who are trying to adopt, who are fostering. And so we are called to help them, whether we're called to be CASA people or foster people or adopt, adopting people. Um, we're called to be a family. If the Lord is convicting you at all this morning, I urge you to respond to him. But do it, as Dan said, prayerfully and thoughtfully. I'd encourage you not to do it with a humanitarian mindset. Going to some disaster relief or throwing money at kids, you'll never know, but do it relationally. Um, be there. Be present with your brothers and sisters. See what they need. And if God is calling you to foster or adopt, um, you are um, the best picture of the gospel those kids will ever see um, when you choose and want and take them in. Because just like you do that, the Father, the Father chose you because the Father wants you and the Father has taken you in. And that's our opportunity to, to show the world. So if the Lord is convicting you, go. Show the affections of a Father who will never let them go. Um, So I was walking, New Windsor, middle of the night, asking questions like, why did you make me this way? Why must I forgive these two teenage punks that left me that I've never met? Where were you when I was born? Just mad at God. And I'll never forget his answer. Psalm 139, my favorite chapter, probably in all of scripture, as if he was speaking it to me, um, he said, I knit you together in your mother's womb. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. In my book was written every day before you, before it was even lived out. Your frame was not hidden from me when you were being made in a secret. My father was there the whole time. He never abandoned me. He knit me in that womb, the one that left me. He knit me there. My father never left me. He never forsook me. The day I was born to this day, every day, written in his book. The same for you. I'll never forget forgiving them out loud, forgiving them out loud on my knees in front of Pat and Jolene and my wife Lori, and then praying that God would save them wherever they were. Um, my whole life, I just wanted to be wanted. Um, there are 7.2 billion people in the world, and all of them wanting me would never fill that hole from the two people that didn't. But there's only one thing that can fill that hole. Our Father in heaven. Our God. The one who wanted me. The one who chose me. The one who wants to bring me in one day. And only his wanting me, choosing me, taking me in has ever or could ever fill that hole. And only his wanting you, choosing you, taking you in could ever fill any hole, any neglect, any abuse that you've experienced. Let's pray. Dear Father, we, we do, when we look at your word, um, we 
when we look at it rightly and we see you, God, we can't help but be overwhelmed at your great, amazing, compassionate love for us. Your astounding love, a love that we could never even dream of. Love that no words could describe. Um, being in your arms, um, Lord, I don't even, no one really knows what that means, like what that even looks like or feels like. But we, Lord, can't wait for that day. Lord, when we're finally brought home and you, our daddy, comes for us because you want us, because you chose us, because you love us. And that's it. That's all the reason you need. We thank you for that. So God, help us be a church body who not only revels, um, not only rejoices in that love you have for us, but we would impart that love for others that we've seen from you that we might live out the gospel in the way that we could choose and want and bring in others or help others who are doing so. Help us be that body, God. I pray this in your name, Jesus.